Welcome to GW Integrative Medicine, the podcast about disease prevention and health promotion from the Office of Integrative Medicine and Health at the George Washington University School of Medicine and Health Sciences. I'm Dr. Lee Frame, Director of the Integrative Medicine Programs here at GW. Today, we're going to discuss a vitamin D study that has received a lot of attention from the media. We have with us Dr. Adrian Fritz Gilmart, Principal Investigator from the Linus Pauling Institute and a professor in the Department of Biochemistry and Biophysics at Oregon State University. The Linus Pauling Institute is a world leader in the study of micronutrients, phytochemicals, and other dietary factors, and the role these compounds can play in promoting optimum health or preventing and treating disease. It's good to have you here again with us, Fritz. Welcome back. Uh, Well, thank you for inviting me, Lee. Yeah, and we have a lot to talk about. So the vital study, uh, we've been seeing headlines basically saying vitamin D is worthless and no one should be screened for deficiency and no one should be taking it with it. Um, and here we're going to try and cover what the actual facts behind those headlines are to get you guys the truth uh, and, and really understand the full meaning of the research. So I guess the the let's start with what we think the, the biggest issue with these headlines is. Yeah, I, I think I, I think that the the headlines are a bit misleading. Um, it's it does convey this idea that vitamin D is not important and that uh, getting adequate uh, levels of vitamin D is not important and so forth. And I, I I'm hoping that uh, I'm hoping it's not confusing the public. Hmm. And uh, I think it's important for the public to understand that vitamin D is an important vitamin and that getting adequate levels is important for health. And and not just bone health, there's also other aspects of health where vitamin D can be important. We're particularly interested in, in, in immune function. So um, with this study, um, while it is a, it, it's an, the vital study is interesting because of its, uh, basically its large diverse sample size. There was high adherence with taking the 2000 IU of vitamin D. Um, But uh, it was actually a study that was designed to look at um, cancer and cardiovascular outcomes. So it wasn't necessarily designed for for bone health um, and some of the other ancillary studies that have been done with it. But it does provide an opportunity to look at some other questions. But I think you do have to take you have to take the outcomes um, in the context of, of the study design and so forth. Yeah, that's a, a really great point. Um, and I think that's a point that's often lost when the media tries to translate research is that studies are need to be designed for the correct purpose. Just because we are looking at a question within a study population doesn't mean we can necessarily properly answer that question in that study population. Right. I mean, basically, they did recruit a fairly healthy uh, population of about 20, 26,000 people or so. And it's interesting if you do look at some of the criteria or um, that are laid out in the, in, uh, the initial vital study, um, criteria were that uh, be consuming no more than 1,200 milligrams per day of calcium or to be consuming no more than 800 IU of vitamin D, through, vitamin D from all supplemental sources. So this means people in both arms could be taking vitamin D um, or calcium. And or, and or calcium, and also um, they were also uh, screened for will- whether they were willing to decrease uh, using such supplements. So it's p- potentially you could have people no longer taking calcium, and so you're not looking at a study where calcium and vitamin D are being given together. 
That's a really important point because that's what the clinical guidelines currently suggest is that they are given together, that not that vitamin D can do it all by itself. Correct. Uh, I, I think some other things to keep in mind is, um, and these are these are points that are are give, you know raised by the authors of the study. I believe the you know the authors of the study have provided an analysis of the of the data and um, basically without the sort of commentary that go, has come out along with the study, which um, there was a commentary published uh, as well suggesting this was a decisive study, that somehow this meant that you no longer had to take vitamin D or worry about your serum levels of of, of uh, serum of, of uh, 25 hydroxy vitamin D. So um, I, I don't believe that that's uh, necessarily the case. Um, and uh, and then they do, you know, the study authors do point out there are some limitations. It's only one dose of vitamin D, the 2000 IU. Um, the trial was not designed to test the effects of supplements on those who are vitamin D deficient or have, would have inadequate levels. For bone health, uh, 20 nanograms per mil or lower is considered inadequate, and that's that was set forth by the IOM a number of years ago. Um, there's lack of baseline and endpoint serum 25 hydroxyvitamin D levels in this study. Not all. Uh, um, all of those participants have those measurements done. And um, yeah, also there was, uh, the results really aren't generalizable to adults with osteoporosis or older institutionalized persons or, and so forth. So th there are a number of issues and uh, um, these need to be taken into account. Yeah, that's a good point. I really want to tie back into the the point of the 2000 IU dose. So everyone is given the same dose regardless of what their baseline status was and regardless of how their uh, vitamin D status changes over time. Uh, whereas a lot of the research is looking at just that status, blood concentrations, and getting to, you know, for instance, 30 or 40 nanograms per milliliter rather than giving a, a flat dose. Do you think that's part of the reason we can't really say this is decisive? I, I think I think so. I mean, intake, you know, in other words, uh, so many thousand IU intake does not necessarily translate to uh, the same change in serum 25 hydroxy vitamin D levels uh, in, in each person. Someone could take 2000 IU and their serum levels could go up quite quite a bit, whereas another person could take the same same uh, have the same intake, but uh, see very little change. So, one thing is that you know it is still discussed. What is what are the cutoffs for deficiency mm -hmm. or sufficiency or adequate you know adequate levels or what is an inadequate level? If we take bone health, uh, twenty it was considered that twenty nanogram per mil or higher is um, sufficient for bone health outcomes. Uh, deficiency is usually considered below 12 nanogram per mil. Um, as they pointed out in, in, uh, in the paper, I believe, in the, in the paper, uh, we generally, when we're doing vitamin D research, we don't enroll people who are uh, deficient, like you know, below 12. Um, if you have a patient uh, in participant with that low of a level, you'd want to have them supplemented so that they get their levels above that. 
So right. um, it's unethical to allow someone to be that deficient. Right. So, but you can still design studies where you enroll people that are in that range of 12 to 20, you know, below 20, but above 12, and they'd be considered inadequate for uh, bone health and perhaps other outcomes. So in, in the vital study, this wasn't done. Most of the participants, um, both in the placebo and the treatment arms, um, have uh, levels near 30 nanogram per mil. So that's well above the 20 for bone health. So in a way, it's not surprising that if you gave somebody uh, the large majority of, of, of the participants, probably 85%, have adequate levels for bone health, uh, bone health. And so if you're giving them additional vitamin D, it's not surprising that there was not a benefit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really good point. The The other thing that ties into that is the population they use, right? These are generally healthy people, not necessarily people who are at risk for fractures. So we wouldn't expect to see a lot of fractures in this population. Right, right. And then also all of the other things that go into fractures, right? Like it's not just vitamin D. It's whether right. they have enough muscle mass, uh, whether they are doing the physical activity to strengthen their bones, all the other co-nutrients, right? Like magnesium, right. K2. So in some ways, it's, we're, we're grossly oversimplifying biology by even looking at just vitamin D and fractures. Uh, that is true. I mean, it, there's definitely more involved than just vitamin D. Um, physical activity helps to keep bone, uh, to, to, to uh, build bone in those who are building bone, as well as to maintain um, bone health um, in those who are no longer doing so. And I, and I think it's important. I also worry that um, the idea that somehow vitamin D is not important uh, in the way that this is being um publicized that, and I'm not saying that the researchers are doing this, this is in the press, mm-hmm. and also the some of the very negative commentaries that come out, it's to not lose sight that vitamin D is important, particularly in younger people. And so um, I believe even in Haynes data suggests that overall, there's probably about 20% of the people um, have uh, levels below 20 nanogram per mil. And um, I think it's important that, um, and it, that uh, especially as you're uh, um, in children and young adults, because you can build bone up until about 30 years of age, that you're getting adequate vitamin D and calcium so that um, you're maximizing the, the building of bone, um, bone density. Uh, because after that age, you start to lose it. And so the more you start with, the better off you're going to be. So I think it, I think it's important to keep in mind that uh, for there are groups where uh, vitamin D is important, and, and not to just discount um, vitamin D and supplements in, in case you you know you're a young person who's not getting adequate amounts of vitamin D. A supplement is going to be beneficial. Absolutely, I couldn't agree more. And then figuring out the amount of that supplement, probably you need to be testing and screening, uh, and that some of the the articles have also been talking about that maybe we're over screening for vitamin D deficiency. Um, my thought would be, well, we can't 
determine if they're vitamin D deficient without testing. Uh, it's not something you could just look at someone and be like, oh, they're vitamin D deficient. Um, so that's my first thought. But also some of the points that you're bringing out, there are certain populations where it's it's much more crucial to have enough levels. So do you think that uh, we're being a little hasty saying we shouldn't be screening for deficiency? But I'm not not necessarily in the camp that says we shouldn't screen. I'm also not in the camp that would say we should screen frequently and all the time. I think you do need right. to be somewhat selective. Uh, I think there's a lot of pushback in in that you know uh, with excessive screening. Just it, it costs money. It's going to cost. Uh, it adds to healthcare costs if you're screening unnecessarily. But I think you can. I think that physicians can uh, decide that it's worthwhile doing a screen every once in a while to see where you're at with your, um, where your levels uh, are, especially if you suspect that someone may not be getting enough vitamin D. And there, there are groups with, you know, the darker, darker skinned individuals um, tend to be more susceptible to lower levels. Um, there can be, you know, people who are, whose lifestyle leave them indoors all the time for work and so forth. And, and if they're not getting uh, adequate vitamin D in their diet and so forth, they may benefit from having their levels tested uh, once to make sure they're getting enough. And once they start supplementing to make sure maybe that they've hit the, the uh, target that they want to reach. And if we just take bone health again, it'd be important to make sure that we're getting above say that 20 nanogram per mil cutoff, which has been set by the Institute of Medicine. And again, we can't forget calcium and, and, and perhaps even some things like magnesium and vitamin K, which are showing some interesting interactions with vitamin D. Ooh, we're definitely going to need to talk more about that, but let's put a pin in that for a minute because I just want to also talk a little bit more about um, screening and over-screening. I think I know I've been to doctors who have screened me multiple times a year for vitamin D deficiency, and that seems a bit excessive, particularly when it's very well known that there is a, a seasonal pattern to vitamin D status. So perhaps screening people in you know, June through August is not the best time of year to be doing it. And then if we're going to screen people, let's do it in the time of year when it's most likely that they will be deficient, let's say January, February, March. Right. What, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, that's probably a good idea. I mean, one option to not screening frequently is just uh, perhaps to, you know, once you have a, you, know, you, you assess your levels and then you start to supplement and then you get another test and you see that you've reached mm -hmm. your level, just keep taking that supplemental uh, dose uh, and consistently and you probably will not have to screen very often. Right. Once you've figured out the right dose. Uh, and then screening, screening during the winter is a good idea to make sure that you're actually getting enough vitamin D uh, through either, either through your diet or, or uh, through your supplement intake. Yeah. So let's go back to those cofactors then. Um, in terms of screening, is that something we should be doing when we're we are doing a screening for vitamin D deficiency. We should we also be concerned about magnesium, K2, all of those other? You know, the, there are studies showing that there's perhaps an importance, uh, important interactions with these uh, minerals and other vitamins with vitamin D. And it's not as well studied as vitamin D itself at this point and mm -hmm. the relationship between vitamin D and calcium. But um, probably, I would say, at least at this point, Ensuring that you're getting an, uh, the recommended, um, uh, you know, meeting the uh, recommended daily intake or get, reaching the RDA uh, could be important, say, for those for those uh, minerals and vitamins. Um, what is the screen for them? I'm, I'm not so sure at this point. Um, 
and I'm not as familiar with the tests for those as, as well and, and the limitations to those tests. Right, because this has not been as well studied. We can definitely do a lot by just making sure we're getting um, we're getting those minerals and vitamins in our diet. So we've talked a lot about bone health because this study is on bone health. But as we've alluded to, there's more to vitamin D than bone health. Uh, what what should we know about that? And then what does this what do these headlines potentially say about that other aspect, if anything at all? So in addition to bone, I mean, vitamin D has been associated, deficiency and, and, and so forth has been associated with a number of conditions. Um, and there have been a number of ancillary studies with the vital study that have shown fairly uh, negative results in a number of, uh, with a number of uh, health outcomes. I mean, it was originally designed for cardiovascular and cancer. Um, those were fairly negative. I do believe they showed a reduced uh, rate of cancer death, but not really uh, a reduced rate of any particular cancer. Um, but a reduction in cancer death is 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 not trivial. That's mm-hmm. that can be important if you have cancer. Um, <laughs> also, I think it's we're definitely my own group is very interested in immunity, and and it could be that uh, for some of these benefits, reaching levels that are a little higher could be beneficial. In other words, above twenty nanogram per mil. That's why there's a lot of discussion about what is the what is the, the serum level of 25 hydroxy vitamin D that you need to reach? And um, there are a lot of folks who are in the camp of 30 nanogram per mil or 40 to 60 and so forth. Um, and, 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 and it's important to know, you know, where do you need to be um, uh, to get the benefits? Um, it does seem that uh, higher levels, there's evidence to support that higher levels may be beneficial uh, with regards to immune function. And I would definitely encourage 30 nanogram per mil or more. And um, I think it's really uh, fascinating that so much weight has been put on um, the vital study in certain situations. And then when you look at a paper that came out recently that was, again, with the vital, it was an ancillary study of the vital uh, trial. And... um, it showed that uh, vitamin D, um, <clears throat> that the vitamin D group had a reduced risk of autoimmune diseases by 22%. And the vitamin D group also reported 39% fewer autoimmune cases during the last three years of the trial. And that a combination of the vitamin D and fish oil, which was part of the vital study, reduced disease by 30%. So this is, these were statistically significant changes. And I, I, I don't know if there's any drug that reduces autoimmune disease by 22%. Right. This is, this is clinically meaningful. This, this, this came out of the study. It's very fascinating. It, it, uh, and this is the same group that they're looking at with these bone outcomes. And, um, so the idea that the bone study somehow says you don't need to take vitamin D anymore <laughs> and that you shouldn't test for it, um, I don't understand that thinking when it comes to the autoimmune disease study, which suggests that actually taking supplemental vitamin D was uh, had, a, had a statistically significant improvement in overall autoimmune disease rates. And they were looking at autoimmune diseases uh, such as rheumatoid arthritis, um, 
and thyroid disease and psoriasis in, in addition to a number of others. So um, they couldn't break it down per disease because the numbers uh, were small, but if you took them overall, as all, all grouped them as autoimmune diseases, there was a significant decrease with vitamin D. So that would argue against not taking a vitamin D supplement and increasing your vitamin D levels. Right, absolutely, and that uh, I've what I've heard from people in the vitamin D field is uh, we're missing the totality of evidence here. When you see these headlines, the well, first of all, the media obviously has a lot of things they need to do besides report information. Right, they're trying to get clicks, they are trying to survive. It's it's part of their business model. But also, they are not reporting on the totality of evidence. They are reporting on this one study that came out, as opposed to the 20 other ones, which show that there's a mechanistic plausibility behind vitamin D preventing fractures. Right, right. I mean, again, if I were to design a, design a drug trial, and I just enrolled a healthy population and gave them the drug that's supposed to, say, treat someone that has a cancer, I guess I would not find a positive result there. So oh, that is a great example. I, I, mean, I think you just have to kind of, again, you have to look at it for what it is. What this study does show is that if you have a healthy population and, and the majority of these people had adequate levels of serum 25 D3, D for bone health, um, if they take vitamin D supplement alone, uh, it's not going to benefit them. Well, that's not surprising, but uh, okay. I, I don't dis dispute that. But again, I think you have to look at, um, if you want to design studies to look at particular questions, I think it, you can design much better studies than this. Not that this is not a good study, but it's right. not necessarily the kind of study that's going to answer the, some of these specific questions just based on its design. Right. It fit, fit for purpose. It's, it's a well-designed study for what it was designed to study, but that's not this question. Right. And I, and and I don't think anybody in the vitamin D field, well, I'm not going to say anybody, but most people, most researchers and, and, and uh, so forth would not say, okay, vitamin D is going to cure a number of diseases and so forth. But right. they are looking at uh, ways of reducing risk and, and rates and so forth of diseases. So, again, if you... If this is if this is a decisive study in bone, then uh, then we should say, well, it's a decisive study in autoimmune disease, right? If we're seeing a 22% reduction, right? It seems to me that would argue that taking vitamin D in that case is is, is something that should be considered. So um, I don't know how you can say, well, don't take vitamin D based on this, but then if you don't take vitamin D, you don't get the benefit of the autoimmune uh, the question the the, the uh, consideration of autoimmune disease. So, um, again, uh, yeah, again, um, we need to, we, we can't, we can't get so tied up with these single, you know, single issue health outcome and, and, and forget all the other potential benefits possibly out there. Right. I agree. And I think the other thing is when we, when we try to design these studies, we can get extremely reductionist because that makes the science quite clear in terms of, you know, we're changing this variable, we're changing that variable. But a lot of times, you know, we've already alluded to, right, you've got co-nutrients that need to be there or um, an area of research I'm dabbling in is looking at um, the confounding of outdoor physical activity and vitamin D status. So this study was really designed based on the fact that observationally, we see that people that have higher vitamin D status have lower risk of fractures. Now, that's 
probably because they're spending time outside getting vitamin D. And when you're outside, oftentimes you are doing outdoor physical activity. And we already talked about how physical activity can be helpful for bone health. So we wouldn't imagine that just providing a vitamin D pill would have the same benefit that outdoor physical activity would be, have, given that it's providing the vitamin D and physical activity and who knows many more things. Um, so I guess that's my other concern in our field is how can we actually answer these questions when they're much more complex than we would like them to be? Uh, that's a good question. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, we, it, it, it's, it's a good point. Um, it's, it's very, it's, it's, we try to, we do study these more and we kind of isolate things. We try to re- make the study design, sim- we simplify it and so forth. And it's hard to take in consideration all of these different things. Um, but, you know, there are, there are, um, you know, meta-analyses and so forth that can be done trying to um, uh, take into account all of these different factors. Um, and uh, it, there are even Mendelian ra- randomization studies that um, can be quite powerful. Um, and taking all of these together, these, you know, these different types of studies that we do, along with the basic research, I think, um, can inform us as to where, where it's important. And to just, you know, when you think about vitamin D, at least vitamin D itself, and another a number of micronutrients, ensuring that at least you're getting the what we consider adequate levels, I think is important. Um, and with vitamin D, if you're taking 2,000 IU or 3,000 IU, that's not something that's going to necessarily be detrimental, and it could ensure that you do maintain uh, adequate levels. And um, and so just to say. Don't pay attention to it and don't don't take any. I think is not not the right message. I think the message should be that uh, you need to ensure that you're getting enough to keep your levels up. And there is a preponderance of evidence out there that there are going to be benefits. Absolutely. And then on the flip side, what are the risks? Right. The the risk of taking particularly 2,000 IU's of vitamin D a day are very, very, very low, if, if any, for, for yeah, most I mean, people. 1,000, one, one thing, sorry, one thing that the uh, vi- uh, vital study has shown is that there are no adverse events with 2,000 IU in the, right. the patient population over the five or so, six, seven years that they've been analyzing things. So, yeah, uh, definitely with that uh, dosage, there's no risk. And, and, and the upper level is, is actually at 4,000 IU set by the Institute of, Institute of Medicine. And, and people would argue, well, I've been taking more than that for all my life and I haven't had an adverse event. But again, um, uh, and our bodies do synthesize quite a large amount, 10 or 20,000 IU in, in a day in the sun. So I, I think you know, clearly 2,000 IU is not something to necessarily be uh, uh, concerned about. Absolutely. Most, most, most people. I mean, there are some rare conditions where vitamin D supplementation needs to be uh, uh, considered in uh, consultation with a medical professional. Absolutely. And I, I know when I talk to people about vitamin D, historically we were really focused on the fact that it's a fat-soluble vitamin. And when we, we talk about fat-soluble vitamins in general, we do worry about toxicity uh, because they're stored in, and they, they are harder to get rid of. But that's not the case for vitamin D, right? Yeah. I mean, generally, toxicity with vitamin D 
D has not been too much of a problem. It's usually when you're taking really, really high doses. And when I say that, let's, let's say 150,000 IU or a couple hundred thousand IU per day for long periods of time. And then you can run into issues there, but generally um, it's, it's really not much of an issue if you're taking a, a moderate dose, you know, moderate um, amount. Right. And if you're looking at your status, blood levels, and monitoring that, then you really shouldn't have an issue, right? Right. And I think uh, most cases you probably want to avoid going over 50 nanogram per mil. All right. That's helpful. Um, so if you had one take-home message from this whole experience of the, the vital study and then the headlines being taken maybe a little out of context and being a little sensational, uh, what would that be? Uh, well, my take-home message would be, um, well, if I were just to look at the the autoimmune study, I'd say, well, go ahead and take your 2,000 IU per day. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, if that if that were to hold up, I mean, it, clearly more studies need to be done, but if that were to hold up, that's actually quite, uh, quite striking. Again, uh, these are diseases that are difficult to treat. If you can actually see a... Re- uh, a, a you know, benefit like that, that's probably worth taking the vitamin D for right there. Um, but yeah, I would say make sure you're getting uh, enough vitamin D in your diet. If not, you might take a supplement diet and or exposure in the sun. Um, but probably, you know, get a measurement every once in a while to make sure that you're you're getting above the 20 nanogram per mil. And I'd say probably shoot for 30 nanogram per mil or higher because of um, probably um, these other effects, say, on immunity and so forth. It's interesting that you might ask why no benefit in bone versus what they see with autoimmune disease. And uh, most of these people um, had levels close to 30 nanogram per mil on average, but those that did take 2,000 IU, their levels went up on average to around 40 or 41 nanogram per mil. And so that might argue that that higher level is important in, in aspects of immune function. But again, that's that's sort of a hypothesis. I mean, that's a little bit of speculation. I think more work will need to be done to, to find out what's going on there. Right. We can't get the answer from a single study as no, much as we'd like to. Right. But vitamin D is important, so make sure you're getting vitamin D. And if you want to take a supplement, I would feel free to take a supplement. It's not going to be an issue, especially at a 2,000 IU per dose, per day dose. Well, that is all the time we have for today. Thank you for joining us, Fritz. Thank you, Lee. This is the GW Integrative Medicine Podcast from the GW Office of Integrative Medicine and Health. I'm Dr. Lee Frame. Thanks for listening. The Office of Integrative Medicine and Health produces the GW Integrative Medicine podcast with funds from your donations. Your generosity allows us to raise awareness of the benefits of integrating whole person care, including evidence-based complementary therapies, into healthcare broadly. Help us continue to grow the podcast by making a tax-deductible donation on our website, smhs.gwu.edu slash OIMH. Click the Give Now button on the left. While you're there, sign up for our free monthly newsletter for even more evidence-based content, including free webinars.